0: back in the shed on a frosty November day. It is episode 128 coming at you here. We've got a whole bunch of stuff on the list for today. we got listener mail, we've got movie reviews, we've got movies we would like to see. So, you know, it's kind of all over the place as many of our episodes are. Hope you stick with us. Hope you actually take away some food for thought and maybe some actual information. Here we go. We're going to just fly at her and see what happens. You guys want to do listener mail? I really want to do listener mail. I I love listener mail. I enjoy it every time. Let's go.
1: All right. And the oddball uh, nature of when we record and when we publish and when the mail comes in and when I remember to look at the mail and all that stuff means that we're going to be talking about Halloween here. Listeners, it's probably mid-December by the time you hear this, I'm guessing. But anyway, Jesse of Montreal sent us a note and... If you remember from last year, he has just an awesome display in the front of his yard of a number of tombstones, humorous tombstones. So he sent us, I hope you're all doing well. I thought you might like to see this year's graveyard. And so listeners, we will send you a copy of this. So PJ, why don't you read a couple of those? Well, he had some in there from
0: before, like for instance, there's a tombstone here commemorating the end of civil political discourse from 900 BC to 2016. So that one's been up for like five years and it uh, really c- and, celebrates the arrival of that, Trump. And has
1: it has not come back yet.
0: Yeah, no. I think this is a new one. It is a uh, tombstone noting the end of the meaning of the word research, RIP.
1: Oh, that's one of the new ones. And that's a number of people when they're, when they're talking about uh, vaccines in particular, but it could be a number of topics now. People will go, well, you know, I've been doing my own research and they think that that's research and it's not, it's reading a couple articles. And
0: And underneath the letters, RIP, he's written, we confuse memes with science. (laughs) Yes, quite good. Yes. There's another one here, the death of wearing pants to work. So what does that mean? People are
1: working out of their underwear? Yeah, they're
0: doing, they're doing Zoom Zoom calls and they just
1: wear PJs, you know.
0: 50 years of feminist progress. I can't tell what year he has that ending, but it's sometime in the 20 somethings. Uh, Yeah, they're fun. Anyways, have a look at the picture because he's got a whole yard full of them and they must get a lot of laughs. Oh, Grammar. Grammar has also passed away quite a while ago. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, at the foot of that one, it just says SMH LOL. What does SMH mean? Shake my head, baby. Come on, RJ. Uh, okay, get okay. going. Yeah. Get going. Uh, that's a good one from Jesse. There, appreciate hearing from him. On oh, seeing the collection too is good. I, they're fun. We have other mail.
1: Uh, Lee of Courtney writes about episode one twenty four. Drain dogs. Hello, dogs. What an action packed episode. To absolutely no one's surprise, I'm sure, I'll have a few comments. I'll get started. And I'll start with an item in the latter part of the show. RJ's thumbs up to the White Saviors Podcast. And uh, listeners, the White Saviors Podcast is about the WE charity. Um, Lee goes on to say, it's a Canada Land podcast, and Jesse Brown is the man behind Canada Land. He has a long-standing and quite personal vendetta against Justin Trudeau, and is also known to play a bit fast and loose with facts. Small case in point. He said that the Wii charity marketed itself to children by putting its logo on boxes of cornflake cereal and posted pictures of said boxes. Hello, Photoshop. There has been no evidence at all that the logo ever appeared on cereal boxes, and even after he was called out for that um, error, he continued to promote the idea. Most of Canada land stuff should be viewed with the same critical eye and ear that I urged viewers of the crown and other historical fiction to use. These blow the lid off. Whatever subject podcasts and blogs usually need some very critical thinking and often a fair bit of other side research. And that's in the uh, modern sense of the word research. Okay. Well, uh, before we continue on, so just, I'm a big fan of Canada land. I don't listen to every episode. I just look at the topic. My least favorite aspect of Canada land is it definitely is woke. So he won't employ someone unless they're non-white is pretty well the way it works. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have high quality people working for them. They're, they're pretty good. The reporters are, and commentators are, are quite interesting and, and do a lot of hard work. So yeah, totally. I don't know if muckraking is the right word. I imagine he's not a big fan of Justin Trudeau, but he hardly mentions it on the podcast. It's usually about other stuff. The We Charity stuff is pretty hard hitting and I, I actually believe it. So, uh, you know, having done my research. <laughs> <laughs> so Lee uh, then goes on, to, she replies again to uh, PJ's note. I had said, I had
0: responded to Lee and sent her a, basically a thank you note for having written to us because she's a faithful correspondent and we really do appreciate all the email that we do get.
1: And she says, I'm glad my replies aren't just a bit P-I-T-A. Listeners, look it up. (laughs) And she says, you've absolutely nailed it on the sensational or expose type of reporting. It is far more about style and substance. Jesse Brown's claim to fame was breaking the Gameshi scandal story. And given that it definitely needed to be out there, it also launched Brown as this kind of crusading guy, unearthing conspiracies and fighting the big dogs, not to be confused with the shed dogs whom no one should want to fight. Oh, I thought she was going to say,
0: cause they're not big. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> That's going to be all hurt.
1: And yeah, he's an interesting guy too. Like I, I looked at his article in Wikipedia Cause he's kind of scrappy. He's been starting this news organization. One guy starts the whole thing, right? So he hires people one at a time. Now he has a family of like four different podcasts. So he's been getting all this going and they have fundraising and he has these great transparency reports where he talks about how they've been doing from an equity point of view and hiring. And they ask listeners to post what they've been unhappy with. So if you ever did listen to that podcast, you could uh, then write into them. <laughs> he reads every single email written to them. He, his commitment is to do that. But anyway, on the Wikipedia article, I learned that his, his biggest source of money is software. What? Yeah. So he's behind some software. Now I can't remember the details of it, but he does heavily advertise FreshBooks. And I almost wonder whether he has some kind of hand in that uh, product, FreshBooks and accounting software for contractors. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I saw him when he came to town too. He had a, he wrote a book about Canada. It's got a picture on the cover of Drake hugging a moose. <laughs> And it's actually quite a quite a fun book to read, but uh yeah. Anyway, thank you for that, Lee. And Lee goes on to say, wouldn't you know it? I had one more comment on your show that I listened to today about garburators, and I forgot to mention it. For the record, I'm definitely in the no camp. In fact, when we moved to our place four years ago, we had a plumber come and take the carburetor out. Partly so that the sludge stuff, which KJ rightly pointed out has to be dealt with at the other end, wouldn't go in in the first place, and partly because the undersink aspect of a garburetor takes up so much unnecessary space. Yeah, that's a true thing. On Facebook, Al from Walnut Grove wrote us about the carburetors episode. Uh, when we asked uh, yay or nay for carburetors, he says nay. Mine stopped working some years ago. Expensive to replace? So just replaced with regular drain pipe instead. The advent of composting should eliminate their need. In our townhouse complex, we had to have the drain system of one of our quads scoped. It has regular problems with backups. Lots of fat clinging to the pipe walls. So if owners use flushable wipes, pour oil into the sink, including using a garburetor, it is a recipe for disaster.
0: That's really disgusting, but still, thank you. It is disgusting. I always
1: think of people's arteries when
0: people talk about that. (laughs) Thank you for that, Al. Sorry, listeners. That's all on Al of Walnut Grove. Your current sense of vague revulsion, that's all his fault.
2: (laughs) No carburetors for Christmas.
0: Yeah. No, instead it's carburetor removal. (laughs) This card good for one carburetor removal. (laughs) Not carburetor, garburetor. Carburetors are a whole other seasonal
1: event. That would be a great gift, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Play your cards right, RJ. So it appears we have a resounding thumbs down on carburetors. Well, I'm glad I heard this. We still have our carburetor in place, but simply don't use it. And, you know, it might just be time for us to consider just taking it out
2: completely.
0: Well, you can let me know on that. Or KJ's a very competent plumber.
2: Yeah, Susan's got one. Maybe I should do that too.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of that until Lee's note, but it's true. Those big engine things underneath, they really do take up. You can't hide all the many varieties of cleaner
1: that you need if you're <laughs> obsessive about that thing. Jesse of Montreal writes Hey guys, I hope you're doing well. I recorded a short bit for you on episode 113. And listeners, episode 113 was about NFTs in part, and that's what he's talking about here non fungible tokens which as you know, we tried to kind of jokingly put ourselves off as experts, but you could tell that we really had no clue what we were talking about. And I've struggled to understand what NFTs are. It's where artists kind of sell the rights to say you own a piece of their digital art. And yet anybody else who wants to can have a copy of it, but you get to say you own it. Which makes no intuitive sense to me at all. Really? Why would you spend any money on this? Well, I've listened to all kinds of explanations that they'd never made sense until the audio file that Jesse sent us where it makes total sense. We're going to post that so that you can listen and nice. and understand. We'll even put the chapter markers in there so that those of you who have chapters in your uh, podcast apps, you can just learn the basics and it totally explains it. He uses the Mona Lisa as an example and he, he covers the various different facets of NFTs. Why would someone want to do this? Why would someone want to buy it? Why it might not be a good idea as well. So it's all very well done. Cool, cool, cool. You got to listen to it. He does a great job. Yeah.
2: In New York, there is, the first time I noticed, graffiti that says NFTs aren't real. Yeah. In yeah. a few places I saw, I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, what's behind that?
1: Yeah, it is, it's an explainer. It isn't saying that this is great and you should do it or you should buy them. But it, but it really gives you a good feeling for why people do it. Yeah.
0: Like if it gets to the motive, then I'm good. I I just don't understand the motive in spending a whole pile of money just to be able to tell your otherwise your other super rich friends Mm. that you did this. I just don't
1: get it. And he adds a quick disclaimer, even though I thought it was just the most amazing, almost near perfect explanation of NFTs in my mind, he did do a quick disclaimer. He said, I didn't look anything up, so I may be wrong about some details. I know how high your journalistic standards are. And he provides a couple of links as well. So we'll, we'll also
3: put those links in the show notes. And without further ado, here it is. Hey dogs, it's Jesse from Montreal. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, I have to admit I'm a bit behind in the catalogue, but uh, I ran across the episode where you discussed NFTs and I thought it was great. And I even listened to the next few episodes hoping that you were going to come back to it and, and get it, but it looks like you didn't. So I thought I'd leverage my, the privilege afforded to me by being a featured guest to send an audio listener mail to do my best to explain it to you. I think the thing that's tripping you guys up the most is the, is, is the fundamental question of value. Why would you create an NFT? What, what is it for? What does it even mean? And uh, it, most of the articles that describe NFTs are, are basically written by people who assume that the value exists. They've already bought into the concept by default that something like this makes sense. So that's why they're not good at explaining it to people who don't even know why you'd want to do it in the first place. So I thought I'd take a crack at explaining it to you in a way that uh, maybe will make more sense. So let's start with the why. why. Why make an NFT? I think the best thing to do is to talk about traditional art. So take the Mona Lisa. There's, a, there's only one Mona Lisa, but anyone can have a copy of it. You can have a print of it. You can have a photo of it. You can get someone to paint it for you. So anyone in their house can have a copy of the Mona Lisa, uh, and in fact, the owner of the Mona Lisa wants there to be lots of copies around because the more people know it the more famous it gets and it raises the value of the original but so in pre-digital art it was easy to determine who owned the original there's only one Mona Lisa and 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 we all know which one it is and then we make copies of the original and the copies are always easy to see as copies it's it's a it's a painting it's a print even a forgery is going to be hard to pass off as an original but the problem with digital art is that each copy is exact, so there's no way to determine what the original is or even define what the original is. And even the project file, say the, uh, the artist is working in Photoshop or a 3D program or Illustrator, it can be copied perfectly so anyone can claim that they were the artist because they have the, the project file. So the idea of an NFT is basically just to reverse engineer an original, in air quotes, version of a piece of digital art. Now I can already hear PJ complaining, that doesn't explain anything, that doesn't make any sense, uh, and uh, I, you guys going to have to bear with me because I'm going to get there. But uh, the first thing that I just wanted to make sure was clear was that the, the conceptual reason behind creating an NFT was to create a way of defining an original and defining an owner of an original piece of digital art, which wasn't possible In the same way pre-nfts so what is an nft and again here it uh, people trying to explain it get bogged way down in the technical stuff because they find it super exciting but they forget to just describe what the basic thing is and an nft is really simple an nft is a list of who owns what that's it Or more precisely, an NFT is an entry on the master list of who owns what. And to go into even more detail, the entry on the master list is linked to your digital wallet, which is basically just a file on your computer with very strong encryption that allows you to prove that you are, in fact, the owner of that entry on the list. So when you buy an NFT, you're basically paying to have uh, your name put on a master list. That's all it is. So while a painter will sell the original copy of their painting, the original painting, there is no original JPEG. There is no original copy of the digital art, which means there's no copy on your computer that is linked to the NFT that says that this specific JPEG file is the original. There is no original JPEG file. And that's also kind of the conceptual thing that's hard to understand, that when you purchase an NFT, you don't purchase the file itself, the JPEG itself, you're probably given a copy of it. But it's not, there is no JPEG that lives on anyone's computer that is the JPEG. Everyone can have the exact same JPEG. The only thing you've purchased is adding your name and the description of that JPEG to a list somewhere. And now I can actually see the smoke pouring out of PJ's ears as he says, that makes even less sense. None of this makes sense, but bear with me. I'm getting there. We have to ne- move on to the next question, which is how does that actually, how does the list work? So we're going to talk a bit about uh blockchain and again, Uh, Most people who explain blockchain are explaining it in highly technical terms uh, to people who already understand the the underlying concepts. But blockchain is really not that hard to understand. Uh, Blockchain is basically a way to distribute a list. So again, it's it's literally just a text file. uh, But this way means that no one owns the text file. So there are multiple copies of the text file uh that live on multiple computers and every time one of them gets updated all of the other ones get updated so there's a verification about the update and then the update is pushed out to every one, every other f- file and all the files are the same so what that does is it uh distributes the ownership of that file in a way that nobody can control it so Nobody can say, look, my copy of the file says I own this particular piece of art because everyone else doesn't agree with it. And when you check the verification hashes, it, uh, you're wrong and no one will believe you. The other thing that uh, is essential to blockchain is very strong encryption, and that's just basically a way of making it really hard slash impossible with the the computer technology we have today to forge uh, any, uh, any data on that list. So again, it's just a giant decentralized list. And on that list is a description of the piece of art. Uh, And by that, I mean the code necessary to recreate that piece of art in a visual form. And uh, a link to your uh, wallet. So your digital wallet, which proves that you are the owner. And to prove it, you need to open your wallet with your very strong encryption. And that's it. It says... This code here belongs to this person here, and with your encryption key, you're the only one that can open that or prove that it's you. So it's literally just an extremely complicated way of creating a list of who owns what. In functional terms, it could just be a spreadsheet. That's basically all that it's doing. So to recap, a digital artist creates a piece of art. They prepare it for an NFT and they sell that NFT. And when you purchase it, you're basically add your name to the list and a a secret key that only you know that says that you are the owner of that piece of art. And there can be a million copies that float around and you don't even need a copy yourself, but you can always claim that that piece of art, that image, that video, that whatever, that digital asset belongs to you, that you are the owner. But in the end, that really doesn't answer the question of why. Why would you want to own an NFT? And the only real answer is why would you want to own the Mona Lisa? Why Why would you want to own an original piece of art that uh, from the artist down the street? Because it's fun. Because there's a prestige. Because of the ability to say, I own something original. There's no other answer than that. We can all get a copy of the Mona Lisa and put it in our house. We can get a high fidelity copy and put it in our house. We can have someone paint the Mona Lisa for us and put it in our house, but we know that we don't own the Mona Lisa. And it's the same for someone who wants to own a JPEG. Everyone else can look at that JPEG. Everyone else can see it, they can copy it, they can plaster it all over the place, but there's only one person that gets to say that they own it. The only reason it feels weird is because there's no physical object to own. But that's where the disconnect lives between the generation that grew up with analog and the generation that grew up in a digital reality. For them, it's not weird to own something that doesn't exist. And the only way I can really think of to explain it is by way of another analogy, and one of my favorites that comes from economics. Um, Lost in the middle of the Pacific Ocean is a bunch of tiny islands called the Yap Islands. And, And the people who live there their currency is uh, stone carving, stones that are carved into discs. Uh, and they do this on, there, there's several small islands, and they do this on one of the islands, and they bring them to the main island. And these stones can be huge, they can be the size of a car, or they can be the size of a coin. But for them, this, these stones represent value exactly the way a coin or a bill represents value for us. But since it can be fairly treacherous to bring these stones from one island to the next, uh, there have been cases where the boat sinks and the stone sinks to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. So the stone is just sitting there at the bottom of the ocean, but it still has value. They still use it to have value. So somebody owns the stone that's in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, and it has value. Uh, And of course, the question is, how does it have value? And the only answer is because everyone decides that it does. So everyone on the island decides that even though no one can see it and no one can touch it and no one can physically give it to anyone, that there's still a value and they trade that stone as if it has value. And an NFT is the exact same thing. The only reason an NFT has value is because every, there are enough people that decide that it has value. And not inconsequentially, that's the exact same reason a physical piece of art has value as well because everyone decides it does. And the value that it has is the value that the marketplace is willing to put on it. So an NFT is just a new way to encode value into something that didn't have that ability before. Now, all that being said, Are NFTs overhyped, uh, out of control? Absolutely. Right now it's a gold rush. It's a bubble. It makes no sense. People are using NFTs for things that that don't need an NFT. There's a, a fantastic story that just came out. A company that creates Tungsten Cubes literally cubes of tungsten used in manufacturing, created a really big cube that's 14 inches on on each side. And you can buy an NFT that grants you the access to go and touch it for an hour once a year. Now that's insane. And uh, obviously NFTs are going to go way off the rails before they come back. But I do believe that there is a place for them and that the idea of owning a digital asset is a really cool thing. And I think that there are many things uh, that will retain their value um, because the ability to say that you own it is prestigious and is interesting. So I hope that helped. Uh, If it didn't, well, it's all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo made up by the kids these days who don't understand how the real world works. So keep those fantastic episodes coming and uh, I promise I'll catch up on the back catalog as soon as I can.
1: Thank you, for Jesse.
3: Yeah, yeah. If I, I, I'm sorry I haven't listened to it yet, but
0: when I do and I find myself fully edified, I will be filled with gratitude because it's just a complete puzzle to me. Just don't get it at all. And uh, then I can go around and lord it over everybody else who doesn't get it either. It's going to be great. Because that's the only reason to actually know anything, so you can just lord it over people who don't.
2: Gotcha, Skin. Gotcha. Oh, I'd lo- just like to go to Jesse's email. For just one second, because the first words of his email were, hi, KJ was right. (laughs) (laughs) Were they?
1: You know, follow-up email after we sent him a quick note of thanks. He said, also, I wanted to add, KJ was right. What was that? What did he say? He said, can I say that again? Yeah. KJ was right. Oh, KJ was right.
2: What's the rest of the sentence?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That I had to comment on the banana episode. (laughs) but only because you are all wrong. (laughs) The proper color is deep yellow, no green, no brown. That gives you RJ's firm texture, as well as the proper sweet taste like KJ and PJ. And everyone knows that the only way to peel it is from the bottom. This gives you all the advantages PJ noted, as well as protecting from squishing when opening as the seam splits with little pressure cleanly removing the bottom nub as it gets taken with one of the peels without having to touch it, giving you a natural handle, the stem, for when you get to the end, so there is no risk of touching the inside of the peel. And (laughs) most importantly, peeling it in that direction gets rid of the phloem bundles as you peel it, which doesn't happen when you peel it from the top. That is absolutely true,
0: peeling from the top. Those, uh, I didn't know they were called phloem, but I r- recall my grade 11 biology. Yeah, my grade 11 biology talked about those. Oh. But I did not know that was what the function of those things in bananas actually is. So that is, ooh, man, that's a killer point because those things are a hassle.
1: <laughs> that's a killer. Phloem bundles. Yeah. That's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, so isn't phloem always said with something else like xylem and phloem? Yeah. Is that it, Zion? Yeah, on? I think so. I'm usually also on RJ's side for these things. And he goes on, but I don't think we have to hear the rest.
0: No, because you've made it abundantly clear in a many, many episodes how well you regard anybody who agrees with you about
1: anything. I know, I think, it, <laughs> I think just the part that he's usually on my side, I think that's pretty well good. <laughs> All right. I'm usually always on RJ's side for these things, comma, But splitting from the back seam is barbaric, and touching the banana itself is sacrilege. (laughs) Jesse. That's strong language. Yeah, it's pretty strong stuff. But,
3: uh, (laughs) Jesus, he He might win that
0: one. I can't argue. No, he might win that one. I'm pretty religious about the top down, but the first time that little nub doesn't go with it, it's just over. Jesse's going to get a flame mail.
1: I don't care about Flom, he's going to get a flame (laughs) mail. (laughs) <laughs> Flow them bundles. Flow <laughs> them bundles. It's great. And if we had listener mail theme music, could kick in now because we are done. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good. Thanks for those, you guys. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. KG, you've been uh, off in the oversized Apple there. And uh, so maybe you haven't prepared snappers or have you? It's time again for K.J. Snappers, wherein our own K.J. Dog tries to stump the panel with etymological quandaries he's stumbled across in his travels, and in which P.J. and R.J. search deep into their time-addled memories to see if they can piece together the meanings and origins of these terms. So let's play K.J. Snappers.
2: Pretty sure you guys both went to Spokane in 74 for the trip. Sure did. Well, we flew over Spokane. So do you guys know the name of the river that goes through where the expo grounds were, right? There's bridges that went over it and stuff. Do you know the name of that river?
1: I did at one point, but
2: I can't recall it. Well,
0: there's the Spokane River that goes through the middle of Spokane, but you're talking about the Gonzaga University grounds, right?
2: No, no, I'm talking about the expo grounds. Oh. So maybe that is, maybe it's the Spokane River. I just.
0: Well, I don't know. The Spok- I just
2: looked at it and I thought, well, I don't know what that is.
0: I, I think it's the Spokane River. It goes right through the middle of Spokane, I think.
2: But is it coming down from the north? Probably. It must.
0: Because you would assume that it's heading west, eventually heading for the Pacific Ocean,
2: right? Or to join up with the Columbia.
0: Which goes to the Pacific.
2: Which, before that, yeah, it must. Cause it's quite small. Like it's not, I yeah. think the, the kettle's bigger than. Well, the mi- kettle's well,
0: wider, but that thing looks deeper in the pictures I've seen. It looks yeah, deeper. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that's that one. That you, rings the
1: bell though. Spokane river. That's probably it. You
0: should
2: feel
1: free to Google that one.
2: I'll, I'll do that. Okay. Okay. Richie. Yep. Let's talk about prosumer.
1: Right. So uh, prosumer is midway between consumer and professional. And it's spoken of in terms of usually hardware that's being sold. Could be software as well though. And so you're selling a prosumer version. That's one that's sold to consumers who are big fans or, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So PJ and I use Sound Studio. That's kind of like prosumer. Like mom and pop aren't going to use that for editing. Uh, they're not going to edit audio hmm. in the first place. Is that a new new word? Like sort of newly coined? I've never yeah. heard it before. It just doesn't show up all that much. I think in stuff that you read, not not yeah, very much. Just and never ever really heard. It. Maybe a marketing term more than anything else, like to make people think, "Ah, oh, I'm a prosumer." Yeah. So that yeah. they'll use it, it to try and sell you. This is our prosumer version. And uh, well, your description makes yeah, total sense. It's just I've never
0: ever heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is something new. That's why people listen to us, you know, so they can learn things. That's
2: it. Learn stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, you you are right that it's the Spokane River and it's very, very small. It's coming from the east. I don't know where, oh, it's coming from Idaho. Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. Lake, what is that called? Lake Coeur d'Alene?
1: Yeah, because those are mountains up there, aren't they? Like, Coeur d'Alene is in the mountains, isn't it?
2: Um, I don't know. Hmm? I've been there. Oh, further Cortaline Lake. Yeah. So that's where it's coming out of there and not very far west of Spokane, it hits the Columbia. Yeah.
1: Right cuz the Rockies come down through Montana, right? And don't they kind of foothills at least are into Idaho? Yeah, basically the further east you go,
0: the higher the ground goes until you peak somewhere on the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the Rockies kind of curve down through North America, right? So, Yep.
1: All right, and that's it for snappers. Quick snappers. Although KJ might be looking for more. I'm not no, sure
0: no, no, there. no, no, no. I'm done. He's checking his mail. He gets a lot
2: of mail.
1: You know, he hobnobs with famous Broadway
0: guys.
2: We'll have more next session, gents.
1: You guys want to do Ted Lasso? Do Ted Lasso. We've had Ted Lasso on our list for quite a while. I think we've never really talked about it on this uh, podcast. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that is right. Okay. I think.
1: So, and uh, all three of us have had a chance to watch it, KJ. Eve.
2: Yeah, I have not seen the last episode.
1: Okay, but it's, uh, and uh, that that would be the finale, the season two finale. Okay. So uh, listeners, we are going to uh, talk about Ted Lasso. So if you haven't watched it yet, you might want to just skip this segment because the show is uh, highly recommended. It's a joy to watch. So uh, KJ, you want to get us started?
2: Well, I'm looking at my original thing here and says, would like to discuss the series, but more importantly, discuss how Hollywood defines us. But I guess before we do that, yeah, let's get into the series. God, it's clever. And he's so, it's so fast, first of all. It's, uh, and it seems like, it sounds a lot like improv sometimes, but boy, they, they throw him and his, his straight guy, the other American. Yes. Some of the stuff they... (laughs) God, man, it's a. I, I don't know if, we, what do you want to do? Do you want to say what happens in the show or?
1: Sure. I mean, we could, but just on that point, um, about the, the, the speed they're they're often references. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Something will happen. And then Ted or coach will just drop something. Mostly Ted will just say something quickly and you're going to miss. I'm, I'm sure I missed yeah. 90% of them, but the 10% that I caught, I thought that's yeah. really funny. So yeah, the show is quickly, it's an American football coach, meaning the American style of football, not soccer. He was a coach of college level, so not a very high level in the football world. And he took a team to number one, gets hired by a premier league soccer team. So he gets actually hired to coach one of them, which makes no sense because he knows nothing about soccer and his fellow coach, who's just largely just called coach, knows nothing either. So why did they get hired? This is established in the first episode that the, uh, the owner wants the team to fail. And so she just thought this would be fun. Run the team into the ground because she was recently divorced from the main owner, the original owner, and she got it as part of the divorce settlement. And she knows that soccer means a lot to the, uh, her divorced husband and her, to her ex. And therefore why not run into the ground just to watch him suffer and that's it. That's the whole concept.
2: Yeah. And so he's just a, a bumbling idiot for the first, most of the whatever, but it's his heart and how he uh, solves problems, you know, well, let, let's look at it like this. You know? <laughs> I think what makes
1: the uh, series so great is that it's the least cynical piece of television ever done, as far as I can tell, at least since the 60s, since Ozzy and Harriet, maybe. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, it's just good hearted.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, American apple pie. Well, it's a really positive
0: well, message too because the guy succeeds because he's a good guy and he is not cynical. And he, we find out the reason he was so successful at even the college level is because he knows how to deal with humans and it's yeah. quite successful in whatever thing you try. And that's a really good message to send. If you behave like a human and treat people like a human, you'll do a lot better than if you don't. I thought
1: anyway. That's right. And he and uh he might come off as naive, but he's actually not.
0: Well and what's beautiful too is he's very comfortable with coming off as naive. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. he is yeah. and he just he just accepts that's part of the cost of being that way. Yeah. And to him it's worth it. So, so I thought it was good. So it makes you feel good.
1: I mean we don't we don't have to necessarily go into an in depth yeah. review of well, Ted Lasso so much as maybe look at some of these related aspects.
2: Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, who's, what's the character's name? Roy, the soccer player, the oh, older soccer player, yeah, Roy. Roy Kent. Kent. So he's a writer. I and I know. Right, I know. He was One of the original writers, wasn't he? And he got asked to audition.
1: Yes. And he's great in it.
2: He, he but really he, is, but, yeah. he,
1: but he is British, right? Yeah. And his character is not, just one dimensional, but it's kind of close to one dimensional. And yet as a writer, he's quite brilliant. When you see him interviewed, he's extremely thoughtful person.
2: Yeah. I don't know where I read this, but, uh, it was sort of behind the scenes and there is that, there's that he's leaving the soccer owner's office and he does a, you know, like click your heels together mm. right in the doorway and he hits his head. This is Ted, right? Yeah. And yeah. he injured himself. And cause you, you're looking at him and you oh. go, Oh Jesus, was oh. that supposed to happen? And he just keeps walking, you know, and he yeah. says something else, just keeps walking. But I think he got a fairly decent gash on his head. Oh. From doing that.
1: <laughs> did he just do a little jump there? Is that why? He yeah. He have... was
2: like, you know how you click, oh, your, heels? click your heels? Yeah. yeah. He, he was happy and he's, but he did it right in the doorway and bam. Oh.
1: Oof. And they just decided, okay, run with it, because he he kept like yeah, it did. he's a trooper.
2: Yeah, like like it was supposed to happen, and it didn't hurt. But it's like if Hollywood, like they give us a certain menu, right, and we we grow up with that, you know, Disney and and I'm just I was just thinking about how that sort of defines us as a society. If we're you know if we were sort of had access to all independent anything and we didn't have the nbc abc cbs to start right. right yeah that's feeding us uh because i think it parts of our society like it's we just think that it's it's almost like um systemic racism you know like what you would get away with as a kid when we were kids you know cowboys and indians and catch a nigger by the toe catch a tiger by the toe, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you don't think anything of it. I I just wanted to sort of talk about what you guys think about Is, Is that, are we different people because of what Hollywood feeds us?
1: To some extent, I think we are. And I mean, the example I'll give isn't Hollywood, but I mentioned this once before, many episodes ago. My theory is that the reason I and a lot of people in our generation have a certain cynicism or a mocking manner, perhaps, to some things, is largely related to Mad Magazine. Uh-huh. Like I read every one of those, and I laughed. I read every article, I read every possible thing of those, and I soaked them in every month. And that taught us to, hey, if somebody, you know, some Aussie and Harriet, let's say Aussie and Harriet, as a TV show, they would have done a parody of it, if at least if they were contemporary, but which they weren't. But they would have done it parody and it would have just mocked them mercilessly. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Whereas the people uh, who watched Ozzy and Harriet largely in the fifties were just, this is a wonderful life. It's great. By the way, everybody's white (laughs) and uh, everybody's middle-class and any hardships there are don't have to do with money, Mm -hmm. I don't think. So anyway, I think that we are I mean, obviously I not obvious, but but if you're exposed to a lot of uh a lot of the media over and over, especially in your formative years. Yeah. Then you're likely to carry that. Yeah.
0: I think basically if you are a member of a
1: society,
0: you're influenced by that society, right? And in our case, Absolutely. There's a whole bunch of messages. You know, you could go all dark and start speculating about who is deciding what messages are working for Hollywood movies and therefore get sold again and again. But I don't think you have to do that. You just have to think. Hollywood has taught us that it is shameful to be a chump, you know, so you got to have your game face on. You got to win. Hollywood's taught us that winning is important, that having lots of money and stylish clothes is important material stuff is important. Being better is important, you know, and and being attractive, oh boy. And you sort of say Hollywood, but really it's media in general, it's all media. And I think the marriage of entertainment and marketing has just been the death of the world, basically.
1: Because it would have gone back before Hollywood, it would have gone back probably to the stage. Because certainly when Hollywood got started, everyone who's a star is almost without exception, extremely attractive.
0: Yeah. And they'd already been working stage. And yeah, there's at some point you, you crossed over from themes that would have been presented on stages in the 1700s and 1800s. You know, they would have included things like it is good to have education and recognize classical themes in the entertainment you're seeing. And yet it also would have been good to make fun of other people, especially poor people, people that don't look like us, you treat them, you know, Mm -hmm. those were all pretty popular themes through all that time. And those are probably uh, as reprehensible as they might be. They're probably just normal human behavior, normal pack animal behavior. Somebody doesn't look like you, they're not part of your group. You make sure they are outside your group and you cater to your group. And as you mentioned, the group was all white the longest time, but at some point, somebody somewhere figured out that that same appeal that sold those movies is really super good for selling stuff that has nothing to do with any of that. But boy, if you see that owning a certain kind of soap is key to remaining in the group, you're going to buy it. Hmm. And like I say.
2: What about the um, Hollywood elite and the backlash against them? like, from political groups, actually, right? Because I think that some of that is based on Hollywood is brainwashing us, and, I, and I, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to do with an anti-Semitic, because a lot of Hollywood was started with rich Jewish people, and they're sending their own message. I'm imagining certain right-wing groups are saying... They're programming us with all these movies, and you know it's like, well, then start your own Hollywood. You know, do your do your own version of it, or make something. your own movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm. Um, I think that's where the, my original how it defines us, and some people accept that, and some people are against that.
0: Yeah, Well, if you circle all the way back to Ted Lasso, there you could ask yourself, wouldn't it be great if Hollywood presented us with more lots, more super popular? movies that had themes about decency and themes about being yourself and themes about not being ashamed of who and what you are and way more generally positive, constructive themes than what we typically, like I've often joked about only wanting to watch movies where things get blowed up real good. And you know, it's true, I do, but (laughs) so many movies are just filled with themes that are not really that positive for society as a whole. And terms of a backlash against the Hollywood elite, you could probably just sort of think, well, I wonder how many people are fed up with being sold products without even being aware that they're being sold product and they're fed up with the guys who make movie making tons of money off the fact that they're putting products into those movies that we then wish. It's like subliminal advertising. Product placement is really closely akin to subliminal advertising. Yes. And there's this there's, there's slow
1: awakening to the fact that we're
0: being marketed to constantly, even when we think we're being
1: innocently entertained. Yeah. But you're talking about, yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Apple TV plus and in just as an example, a nice little example here of shows that might. So if you look at the morning show, I don't know if you guys have seen that. I have not. Okay. So, so there's not one character I can think of in the morning show that I like. <laughs> and that's, that's not there are a lot of shows like that. There are a lot of great shows like that, like crime shows that are all these kind of flawed characters, heavily flawed characters, the protagonists maybe are thieves or something, you know, like, but even the so-called good guys, you know, the, the police, there's some terrible thing about them. So anyway, the, the morning show would fall into that category. So, uh, so you got the morning show where, you don't, pretty well don't like anybody on it with a few exceptions. And then you got Ted Lasso on the same network where every <laughs> single character, even, you know, the, the, the yeah. wife who's purposely trying to hurt the team yeah,
0: or the husband, who's a reprehensible, awful person. Still, they make him likable, you yeah. know, at some level, he yeah, has redeeming level, virtues. Even
1: he is likable. Yeah. So, so, and you know, like I think in real life, almost every single person, you know, there's something to like about them. Yeah. And I far prefer that if I, if I have to watch something, I want to watch something that shows the good side and the bad side of people, you know, you, cause you need drama for God's sakes. You need something right. <laughs> like other than just fighting a uh, tidal wave or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Flowing things up. Really. You need, you need Hans Gruber uh, and <laughs> die hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I like about that.
0: Yeah. It is really, it is very fun and it is fun too to think Why? RJ? Might you find yourself wishing you could have more content like that? What is it that has finally got us to the point where there is a backlash? What, how come people are waking up to that? Is it an age
1: thing? Is it a, well, the world in general is, has a lot of people who by their nature see the bad and stuff. That's been an ongoing theme in, in this podcast, actually a discussion point. Um, and I actually, I actually have grudgingly come to accept that if, if people were all just wanting to see all the positives that the world would never improve. So I actually see a lot of benefit to that, but I, I love just seeing stuff that um, shows the goodness in people. That's all. It's as simple as that. I mean,
0: yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, And I, I, I don't think it contradicts my question. It's just, I wonder what it is that gets us to the point where we are thirsty for more portrayals of the good in people rather than all the awful negativity that we typically bathe in when we
1: look right, at social media. Right, right. And isn't it true that over the decades it's become more stylish to have really gritty drama or even, well, or even comedy? I think so, yeah. And I'd, I'm not sure about that. And this is why I asked about it. is it just an
0: age thing? Like when you get old and you've been exposed to it, do you just finally get full or is it, Actually, that it has changed over the course of our lives. I don't know.
1: KJ, I see a film list on our... Uh...
2: I watched Princess Bride on the plane just because... Nice. Well, it's just... I haven't be- seen that forever. Well, because so many people reference it all the time.
0: Have you never seen it before?
2: Yes, I have, oh, but okay. I don't... I, You know, my name is... Yeah. Enteo, you Montoya, killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah, amazing. it is. And it's just a ridiculous, ridiculous film. right? It is. It, it,
0: and yet it's a real uh, real cultural sort of icon.
2: Yeah, but I'm sure I know people who know every like it's not just that line, they know other lines, you yeah. know from uh, the Wallace Shawn character. Yes, you know. he's great. Yeah. yeah Fred Savage as the kid.:
1: Yes, yeah.
2: with um, <laughs> he's perfect in that Columbo yeah, what's his name? Peter Peter Falk. Peter Falk. And that no, but Fred Savage is young, young, young.
1: Was it was it before the Wonder Years? The yes, episode? yes, yeah.
2: like quite a quite a bit before. And God, he was good as a kid. But just uh, the the actor and the actress playing our heroes, you, I, I kind of go, whatever happened to them? Like, who who are they? And and the King guy was, a, you sort of you see his face, you go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, it was interesting. I also watched um, Free Guy with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Jeez, he's fun, isn't
1: he? Does he just play himself again?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, quick-witted.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's a, I find it, it's a very clever movie. It's in, you know, I won't say anything.
1: I haven't seen it so yet. I'll yeah. spoil it. It's called Free Guy?
2: Free Guy, yeah.
1: Okay. I've never heard of that. I watched uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, oh, wow. Wouldn't mind seeing that again either. Yeah. I I saw it at the theater and that was the last time I saw it. So uh, So, it was great watching it again. Yeah. Really fun. Really high quality.
2: And then the first blood reference, my friend, Corey's girlfriend, is in the tourism industry, and she knows this guy in Hope, who is, he's the biggest first blood nut in the world, and he does, before COVID... <laughs> tours. Tours. <laughs> and they have a, I think this year, they might have the, they do some a big festival every five years, and people like travel from around the world to go and see things.
1: Now, just, just for uh, anybody in our audience who, like me, has never seen First Blood, this is the Sylvester Stallone movie?
2: Yes. These guys, Corey and his girlfriend, they spent five hours with him, like a personalized tour. And Corey's just going on about this. <laughs> so then I watched it, because he was, like, we. He, he actually made me put it on when he was talking. Oh, he, he said, watch the first scene. And is Rambo coming into town, or coming to a place to find his old war buddy he's looking him up and there's this black lady who is either the guy's mother it must be his mother and she's not credited in the movie and she has i don't know 10, wow. 10 minute scene
0: wow
2: and she's good i wonder like she's what, really good what
0: happened what was that all
2: couldn't about? figure that out, but he he sort of made me watch that and then i ended up watching the whole movie and it stands up really well really it really does
0: all those rambo movies are super good for those who enjoy body count yeah, yeah. Do
2: movie and, watching. And, and movie. Vengeance. And, and Vengeance, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I'm definitely going to add that to my
2: yeah, have a look. list. Yeah, have a look. And then the other thing on my list was The Mission.
1: Har- Harrison Ford, that one?
2: No. Uh, no, De-, De Niro. Yeah, that's in
0: South America. South American Explorers, isn't it? Yeah. I believe it is. Yeah. Okay.
2: But I, I'm pretty sure that it is my number one soundtrack, or actually... The number one music in my head is that, that score from Sheesh. Ennio Morricone. Yeah,
1: I have, I have the soundtrack album.
2: Yeah. Oh God, it's good. God, it's good.
1: Ennio Morricone, he did a lot of the spaghetti Westerns as yep. well. Yep. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's him. Yeah, yeah. That's Ennio.
1: Well, I, uh, about, uh, probably 10 years ago saw, uh, Bullet, the movie. I didn't see the movie. I saw the DVD sitting in a bin somewhere.
2: Steve McQueen? Yeah.
1: And so I thought, I've never seen Bullet. So I paid five bucks or something to get this binned DVD and ripped it. And then that's the last I thought of it. So lately I've been looking at whatever I had ripped and I'm thinking, this is just stupid to have gone to the effort and never watched these things. So I decided to watch Bullet. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm aware of the famous San Francisco car chase scene, which was awesome. Totally enjoyed that. I enjoyed that it was in the middle of the movie, not the end. Apparently it was breakthrough, like chase scenes had never been done that way. I liked that it was the worst thing. The worst part about chase scenes, I'm sure you'll all agree, is that how some UPS van is keeping up with a uh, Fiat (laughs) Spider for like 10 minutes. And you're going, come on, really? So this one was more realistic that way. They both were hot cars and it made sense. And I just enjoyed it. So I've been on a bit of a Steve McQueen film festival ever since because i did uh, as you guys might know and listeners might know i watched every single episode of wanted dead or alive which was his tv series what got me going on that was once upon a time in hollywood uh just which is a fantastic movie and the the protagonist in that show can't seem to break out of his western and into the movies uh, TV series and into the movies. So that, that actually was based on Steve McQueen and Steve McQueen was a rare person who could star in a TV series and actually become a movie star afterwards. That was just unheard of. So anyway, I decided to do it in a uh, time sequence. I am not going to bore you with every single Steve McQueen movie ever made. And I'm, I'm actually not through them all. I'm just going to mention the first one. So Steve McQueen starred oh. in the blob.
2: Oh, right, right.
1: If you can get your hands on the blob somehow, just watch it. It's ridiculous. Uh, Steve McQueen, you know, it's arguable. I don't know your opinion of his acting, KJ. KJ. Um,
2: well, he's a decent actor. Uh, he's a
1: decent actor. I think he doesn't necessarily have a broad range, but he's great. And he has an animal magnetism. So there's, there's much to be said about his acting, but even in the blob, you can see his personality coming through and making him, seem a very attractive person to watch on screen, but his timing's just awful. Every, everything about it. Actually, uh, I'm convinced it's the director. They had, they have almost no budget. I don't think they have budget to recut scenes. Uh, and so there's all kinds of weird stuff in the dialogue. Well, there's a pause that made no sense. So even down to the point where there's a crowd of people running in terror out of a movie theater.
2: Yeah. I remember that scene.
1: Yeah. They're all extras. And when you look closely, oh, they're right. all laughing. Yeah. <laughs> they're just having a blast. They've completely broken their characters. It's just a gas. They're having a gas. They're laughing. There's no way the director intended for that. They simply couldn't afford to keep the theater shut down for an extra hour to get everybody moved back inside and start them over oh, again.
2: Right, right. And so, yeah. Was the blob stuff That was physical. That was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some
1: some great big kind of lumps of some sort of jelly, like... It's probably just tapioca or something, you know? Yeah, and it almost looks like it's got a plastic outside. Yeah. Because you don't get to watch it expand and get bigger. You just... They cut to the next scene and now it's bigger. Yeah. So so the the effects are possibly the, the worst ever movie effects. Early days. Well,
0: the thing with that film for me is I just... Every time he comes on i lose everything because he just rich you told me he was 28 when he made that film and he looks every day at 28 he looks like he's in you know i'm sure he's smoked and stuff he's supposed to be playing a teenager he's supposed to be a 17 year old teenager and he's he looks like he's 35 Every time they have a close up I just think, "Oh, come on." Yeah, yeah. I can't for an instant suspend my disbelief here. It's just not happening.
1: For yeah, me. and then and then suddenly he's in a scene talking to his dad about whether he's allowed to go out or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my son's not in the habit of lying. You know, oh my goodness.
0: Your son, you guys could be out having beers tonight. You're like 5 years apart. Heaven's
1: and uh, yeah, I suspect many of our listeners are not going to watch that, but if you do, it's it's really fun to watch. And since I think most of you won't watch it, I'm going to tell you at the end, they managed to figure out that, spoiler alert, the only way to stop the blob, the only way, and Steve figures this out himself, clever teenager that he is, Yeah, by spraying a fire retardant at it, a fire extinguisher. And you know, when the, is it CO2? comes out of the fire extinguisher. Um, it cools cause that's what happens when a pressurized gas comes out, it immediately cools down and they notice that the blob stops or even retreats. No. And so they figure out that only cold can stop it. And if they blew it up, it would of course result in many tiny blobs everywhere. So, you know, it has, has to be cold. So at the end they decide to uh, bring in some army helicopters pick up the entire blob, which is sitting there shivering because it's cold and take it up to the Arctic or the Arctic, which is what they say in the show. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so they say, and that should be about that, but will it be dead? No, it won't be dead. And then Steve says, uh, he says, but that should take care of it. And Steve says, well, as long as the, uh, as long as the poles don't melt, Ooh. Huh? Oh, uh, oh! and it was CO two they were spraying carbon, right? Huh? Man. He saw it all happening, and then and then we see <laughs> off in the distance in the Arctic two little parachutes and the blob kind of falling down, and it just comes to rest, and then and then we see the end, and then the end kind of balls up cartoon like and changes into a question mark.
2: Yeah. Ooh. Clever, yeah, clever, yeah, yeah, clever. Yeah.
1: So uh <sighs> so there you go. I guess what they were looking for is a, a sequel. Yeah. That, that was with yeah. a question mark, and but it never happened, I think. Uh yeah. But of course it went on to be a cult classic, and whatever tiny little bit they spent on it, they actually made some pretty good money on it. By now they certainly yeah. have somebody and, somewhere. Dude. And Steve had been talked out by Suzanne Plaschette of all people. She said, Don't don't take points on that thing. <laughs> so steve was paid three thousand bucks for the whole movie and that was it yeah Yeah, it's pretty good fun if you if you like that sort of thing
0: (laughs) so we flew at her we've flown as far as we can fly and we're done we've come to the end of another fun afternoon in the shed we hope you enjoyed it we know we did let us know what you think do go look at the stuff we've talked about these last couple episodes that's on the website because there's some fun links in there in the meantime take care of yourselves and we'll take care of ourselves and we'll talk to you again soon
2: and we should also mention that we're leaving the shed today in the dark and we didn't even discuss daylight losing time that's right
0: well i say way to go us way to go us way to go us not not bird see that's us We don't just take the path well trodden with our topic selections. That
1: was fun, guys. It was, actually, yeah.